Hi, I'm Jason Slattel, and welcome to Jesus is All We Need on the Edify Podcast Network, a show that explores selfless and unique stories that remind us why Jesus is truly all we need. On today's show, my guest is Jeremy Stalnecker. Jeremy was a Marine assigned to 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, 1st Marine Division as an infantry platoon commander. He served first as a rifle platoon commander in a helicopter company, and then as a platoon commander of the counter-mechanized platoon. In January 2003, he was deployed to Kuwait in support of what would become Operation Iraqi Freedom. While in the Marine Corps, God was working in Jeremy's life to turn his heart toward full-time ministry. Just one month after returning from Iraq, Jeremy became a staff member of his home church at Coastline Baptist in Oceanside, California, as an assistant pastor. In 2008, Jeremy and his family took on a new responsibility when he became the senior pastor just east of San Francisco Bay at Beria Baptist Church in Fremont, California. After serving in the role of senior pastor for nearly seven years, the door was opened to accept a full-time position with the Mighty Oaks Foundation. And that is where we find him today. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me on, man. It's awesome to be with you. Yeah, not a problem, man. That's quite the resume here. And uh, I pulled that down myself and wanted to get all your information out there, man. There's <laughs> a lot well, of words. That's all it is. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, no, there's so much more than words here. Because when we look at resumes and bios, let's be honest, in January 2003, he was deployed to Kuwait in support of what would become you know, Operation Iraqi Freedom, basically you went to war. Yeah. I mean, we, we read bios, dude, and let's be honest, we're kind of Frenching up what it is, sure. but there's so much depth behind that. But anyways, buddy, we find you today. You're down in Southern California. The reason I say down there is because I'm in Northern California. Whereabouts are you right now? We're down the uh, city of Murrieta. So folks that know Southern California, kind of South Riverside County, um, we like to say north of San Diego because it sounds better, but it's really south of San, uh, Riverside, <laughs> Riverside County. That's right. And is, is it near a great little town of uh, San Jacinto by chance? You know, uh, there is a great little town called San Jacinto. I appreciate you bringing that up. See, I made the mistake of sharing that with you. Uh, yeah, that's where I grew up, uh, about 15 minutes from here. And, uh, I, you know, I, I was really proud of my hometown growing up. I was also really happy to leave it. And tried to get as far away as possible, and here I am, not too far away from it. So, <laughs> I, I, and the reason I'm joking about that uh, backstory behind that, you guys, is Jeremy and I met a couple weeks ago at a Firefighters for Christ retreat where Jeremy was speaking, and that's where uh, I first ran across him when he said he's from San Jacinto. I was in the bordering city in Hemet, so Hemet is in the San Jacinto Valley, and we just joked uh, about that. But anyways, <laughs> brother, th- thanks for letting me share that one. All right, man. So let, you know we're gonna. Unpack a whole lot of stuff here because you've done so much with, with your life. And I just want to talk about the Marines and your role in the Marines and how you got started there, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I grew up in a pastor's home, um, which I, I always start with that because it's a unique place to start. My dad started a church actually in San Jacinto. That's how we ended up out in the valley. Um, started a church and that was kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the family business. And I always joke that the one thing you learn growing up in a pastor's home is that you probably don't want to be a pastor. That's the one <laughs> the one thing you learn. Uh, I love my dad. I love my mom and uh, their dedication to the Lord and to his work. But I knew as a teenager, that's not what I wanted to do. So right. um, talked to my dad and said, hey, dad, I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask you if it's okay if I don't go into ministry. He's like, son, do whatever God wants you to do. Wow. I said, I think God wants me to go in the Marine Corps. He's like, God does not want you to go in the Marine Corps or anything with that. Um <laughs> But uh, that's where I ended up. I went to college um, and uh, had the opportunity to go through a commissioning program for the Marine Corps. And in 1999, uh, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps, which was awesome. Ended up at, as you mentioned, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines in an infantry battalion. Um, And for me, I mean, I was living the dream. That was all I had wanted to do since I was a a young kid. And I was so thankful for the opportunity just to do that. 9-11 9-11 happened. Our battalion was supposed to go to Afghanistan. Uh, we were stood down. We didn't end up going. So in that process, that was 2001. In that process, uh, God had done some things in my heart and my, my wife's as well uh, toward ministry through our church, the church that we were attending. And because we weren't going to war, I was in an infantry battalion, um, things weren't going to happen. Everyone knew the war was going to be over quick, right? right. Six or eight months, we'd be done with right. this thing. So 
there was no reason to stay in the Marine Corps. And uh, so I made a decision and a commitment to get out. And then the craziest thing happened. We got sent to Kuwait. And, uh, wow. you know, looking back, we know what happened there. So our battalion, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, um, on March 19th of uh, 2003. So, um, you know, this is a weird time of year for us. April 1st, we had this major firefight that I talk about often. I've written about. Mm-hmm. Um, April 10th was the Battle of Baghdad, Battle for Baghdad. That was um, uh, just a, an incredible battle that our battalion was involved in. But on March mm-hmm. 19th, the war started and uh, 1-5, my battalion, breached the berm between uh, Kuwait and Iraq. We were the uh, first Marine Infantry Battalion into the country, uh, secured the southern objective on the southern you know, the southern border of Iraq, and then started making our way toward Baghdad. Right. So, you know, there, there's, obviously I wasn't in battle, but there, there's a lot of parallels sometimes to being in the fire department because, you know, we, we lightly tread with the term paramilitary, if you will, yeah, you know, sure. because we try to fall structure. But, you know, I'll never take that as doing what you guys do. But a lot of times when we explain, oh, we went to a fire, da-da-da, and all that, which yeah. is kind of our way of, downplaying what we did because you don't want to over talk it and tell people what it's about but there's an interest i've learned that people have in what truly firefighting Mm -hmm. is like and i I like to kind of when asked you know include it not to glorify myself but to show people what the guys and gals currently fighting fire going through you know the struggles that they have with that being said you talk about you know going into battle and objectives anything the first day that you guys we're going into Iraq. What was that like, man? And what were you feeling? Yeah, that it was the craziest thing. In fact, real weird. I, I had the opportunity to interview my battalion commander just a couple of days ago for uh, one of the shows that we do here. And it was awesome. It's funny you asked me that question because I asked him the exact same question. Oh, wow. Uh, you're leading this thing. What were you thinking? I'll tell you, for me, as a lieutenant, at the time, I was uh, the platoon commander for, we called it the counter-mechanized platoon. I had 80 Marines. I had the Humvees that had the heavy machine guns and the tow missile launchers on top. You know, I think just about everyone wow. has seen that. Yeah. Um, so a lot of stuff moving around. Our battalion was about 1,200 Marines. A lot happening, obviously. Um, we had the benefit of time. So I had been training with that unit, with my platoon, and then that battalion, uh, well, the battalion for four years, with the Marines in that platoon for two years. So a lot of it was just going through the battle drills that we had done. We had trained right. for events like this, and we went through the motions, and we did the thing. But I'll tell you, when we got into Iraq, and, and maybe it's, you know, when you go to your first, you know, real fire, I, I don't know. I would imagine it's similar. Right. You, you train, you do the thing. Uh, it was in the middle of the night. There was smoke in the air because the, the oil pipeline was burning. There was dust everywhere. You couldn't see anything. We were sending artillery across the border. There was just so much happening all at the right. same time. Right. And then we got into the country, and the more uh, the uh, the tracer rounds were coming back our direction. Oh. And I I remember that because it was the most surreal moment. Right. I've been right. training at this point. Um, I had been in the Marine Corps for um, about eight years. I had trained a lot. We had fired a lot of rounds, but we had just never had them <laughs> coming back toward right. us. Wow. Um, so it. It, it flipped everything on its head. And that's one of the things that I think people don't understand about war is everything you're told from the time you're a small child not to do. Now you're there to do. You're shooting live rounds at human beings. You're dealing right. with things that you talked about, you've trained for, you've seen play out on movies, but now you're dealing with it in real time. Um, and then you add to that just the exhaustion factor of, yes. you know, being up for several days at a time and then trying to process these kind of complex, uh, you know, real world problems. Uh, it's, it's overwhelming. It, it really is overwhelming, but that's where, you know, they say the, the training kicks in and, and it does, you just keep moving because you've been trained to. Right. And, you know, I appreciate you explaining that because that's the same thing with a fire. The one thing you hear every new firefighter say after they went to their first fire was, I didn't realize it was going to be that hot, you know, and and people don't get, you know, as you're pulling up to the house and it's, you know, people screaming that there's people trapped inside, you have 
dogs barking and where I worked in West Oakland, we had a lot of gates and a lot of bars that we had to pry through. So you don't even think it was, you know, you're trying to pry open a, a screen door, a security door, but you also have flames and smoke just pouring out in your face and it's burning hot. But meanwhile, people are screaming at you to do your job and your job is to go into that beast and fight the fire. Well, obviously that's not another human being shooting back at me, but the the chaos that just surrounds you, you nailed it. it it's there's just so much going on that you always fall back on your training. And that's yeah. why we always say we're paramilitaristic because we always fall back on our training. We always rely on the experience of our leaders and the trust yeah. in our leaders to make the right decision. So, and also the sleep deprivation. I mean, you guys in war, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of the light of this, but I'm not sleeping in a war zone, bro. Let's keep it real. You know, I mean, <laughs> I know you're not either. And I'm, my guess is with sleep deprivation, now you're advancing into a country of people that want to kill you. I mean, they're, their military want to kill you because that's what yeah. war is all about. Right. What, what were you feeling? I mean, as it started to get real, because my guess is the deeper you got in, the more real it probably got. Right. You know, you have weird thoughts. Um, before we deployed, my mom asked me, how do you feel about all this? Like, what do you think about the war and the reasons they're giving that we're going to Iraq and, you know, all these things? Um, and, and, and as an arrogant, you know, 24 or 25 year old, whatever, I was like, mom, it doesn't matter. I'm here to, you know, do what my country says. <laughs> and I was real, real uh, bravado, you know, yeah. um, and, and the, you have the weirdest thoughts. I remember, you know, shortly after we got into the country, thinking about my mom and that question and her going, what do you think about this? And me saying, it doesn't matter. At that moment, it mattered. Right. Right. And just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You know, the things that you do think and the way you're trying to process, but in the moment, you have so many responsibilities in addition to, I'm going to do what my training has taught me to do. In addition to that, you have so many responsibilities, people that you need to take care of, people that you need to communicate with, things that need to be accomplished, that in a lot of ways, it's not until after the fact, mm -hmm. there's this adrenaline drop, um, everything is quiet now on the other side of that battle, often in the middle of the night, I tell a story about sitting on a roadside and just, it was like a wave of fear overwhelmed me. This was probably four days into to being in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it was just that, the emotions catching up, the fatigue catching up. It was pitch black. There's a lot of stuff going on still that we were going to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember a verse, Isaiah 41.10 came into my mind at that moment. I don't remember where I memorized it. My right. dad probably made me memorize it, but it dropped on top of me. Uh, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will hold you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. And wow. uh, just as fast as the fear came, the peace came. Wow. But, but it's often after those battles, after those fights, where you go, wow, that was really bad. <laughs> right. A lot of bad things could have happened, and some bad things did happen. And now I'm not focused on what's the mission or where do I need to be. I can become very introspective. And so it, it was kind of during my time in Iraq, it was that. It was yes. engagement. It was pull back and consider. It was engagement, right. pull back and consider. Yeah. Man, you know, and and again, the the parallel of the fire department is when when you're going to a fire, especially as a young man, first I want to be clear, I never want to see anyone's stuff burn. I never want to see anyone hurt. I never but but it's what I've been called to do. Yeah, and it was right. a fun job. I mean, it was you yeah. know, as an adrenaline junkie, if you will, especially before I became to Christ, because I tried to use the fire department to to fill the voids and the holes inside of me, and that's a whole conversation off to the side, which <laughs> it never worked. Okay. But just you know, the the fact like, let's go, let's get some. You see the smoke in the distance, you hear multiple 911 calls it's coming in and so you get there and then like you're fighting the fire and you're you're kicking behind and going through and everything and then when the fire's out yeah and you have that moment of reflection that you're looking around you see like burnt pictures on the people's walls you yeah. see like yeah dolls in a child's room destroyed and you see all that that's where the, like you said that moment of reflection comes in is after the battle Yep. When you start looking around, you know, at the destruction that you just, for me, I always fall into like, you know, especially looking back on it now with my scriptural goggles on, I just see how broken this world is, how fallen this world is. Sure. And, you know, I, I then rely back on the promise of I, I'm going to have an eternity of perfection in heaven, which mm. a lot of times would keep me pushing through. And I mean, I could back that up with multiple Bible verses yep. and stuff, but you know, that that's so good what you mentioned there about 
sitting on the side of the road and reflecting. And I don't want to go too far, but I mean, in battle, and you guys are doing it righteously and rightfully so, but you guys are kind of creating a lot of the chaos if you think about it too. I mean, you're sure. the one going in and destructing is your job, pushing back, trying yep. to overpower other people so they'll quit, you know? Yeah. And did you ever have times where that kind of hit you? Yeah. You know, the reasons for going into Iraq, uh, in retrospect now, 20 years later, almost 20 years later, there's still a lot of debate over why were we there and should we have been there? And mm-hmm. at the time, you know, I was young enough and naive enough to just say, well, I'm sure that the reasons were justified and we should be here. Um, over time, you get to know the people that live in the country. And, you know, we talk about weapons of mass destruction. We talk about dictatorships. We talk about all those things. I'll tell you what I settled on, and I think a lot of us did while we were there. Um, the Iraqi people, the people who live in the country, are wonderful people. Yes. They're farmers, their parents, their spouses, their kids. They're trying to live their life and do their thing. And at the moment in time, in the moment in history where we went into the country, their government was not allowing them to grow their crops or to get water Mm -hmm. to grow their crops. They could feed their families so they could make a living. They were in absolute poverty and it was government imposed. So we went there with the reasons that we were sent there. Mm -hmm. But the longer we were there, the reason we were there (laughs) was Mm -hmm. for the people that were trying to live their lives and Mm -hmm. open their stores. We went, went through villages, small towns where hospitals and schools were being used as the location that mortar rounds were being fired on us from. So the schools were shut down. The hospitals were no good. Um, we were able to clean hospital, uh, clean schools and hospitals and get kids back to where they were supposed to be and restore communities. And so, yes, the chaos that we brought um, in a lot of ways was you know, you look at it and go, well, it depends on which side of this equation you're on as to who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. But for the people that live there that were powerless, I've always believed that one of the great things about the United States is that we take personally the responsibility that we've been given by God on this planet to help those who can't help themselves. Right. And uh, to me, that moment, that time was an extension of that. I get it. And yeah, when, when I'm saying about, you know, bringing the chaos, that's why I'm very clear that I'm in full support of everything that was done. But as a soldier, you know, what I was getting at is that like at the fire department, I would show up and, and put a fire out and do this yeah. kind of stuff, as opposed to a police officer has to show up, you know, in this, no, you're right. time, you know, and, and, a, and, and a Marine or a soldier, they have to show up and sometimes it is chaos created as you're trying to stop the bad of what's going on, you yeah. know? And, and that's why I, I just have nothing but mad respect for you and everyone who goes into combat. One thing you'll never hear come out of my mouth is thank you for your service. I, I just can't say it. I, I understand where people <laughs> are coming from with it, but what I like to say is thank you for having the courage to do what needs to be done so I can live a life of peace, you know, in this country. So that's what I like to thank you for. So I just wanted anyone that was listening to, to understand that, you know, I'm not trying to say you're causing chaos, but your chaos has to be caused to solve the problem, you know? And you're, and you're right. And, you know, I think this is as a, as a Christian man, right. This is something kind of that, that tension that you're always dealing with, mm-hmm. because I believe that as Christian men, there are times we need to stand up and cause some chaos. Right. 100%. But, but that's not all the time. And so it's constantly balancing that with, you know, I answer first to God. God is my primary concern. Everything else falls beneath that. So if I'm going to cause chaos, there better be an underlying foundation of character, integrity, and a desire to do what God wants me to do. Amen, so brother. You're I absolutely right. I appreciate bringing that in. So as, uh, you know, being in command and and being an officer in the Marines, you had a huge responsibility for the the guy. And I say guys because I believe men and women in the military, but guys is a common term for all of our uh, Marines and soldiers out there. You're in charge of these guys, man. What was your feeling when you were going into these tough situations, knowing you had these young kids with you that yeah. you kind of had to look after? How how did that put a burden on your heart, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, it does put a burden on your heart. You, you know, a lot of the – I was uh, – let's see, I was 25 when we went into Iraq. 
And a lot of the young men that I was serving with at the time that were going with me were 17, 18, 19 years old. Um, I have a 19 year old son now. I have a 21 year old daughter too, but my 19 year old son, I just look at him and think he's two years older than the youngest (laughs) Marine that I had when I was in Iraq, which is nuts. Uh, People have said, do you ever want to be a youth pastor? And I say, I tried it in Iraq. I was a youth (laughs) pastor. I had a bunch of kids. (laughs) I love that. But it's, yeah, no, it's, you know, what is your number one responsibility? It's to accomplish the mission and do it without um, unnecessary loss of life. And, mm. and it is overwhelming when you realize I'm responsible for these lives and for these folks that are here. Um, and again, I think as a Christian, I think maybe the burden is even a little bit heavier because we understand eternity and understand what all of this means in mm. view of, um, you know, not just here, but but beyond. So it's it, it's overwhelming. But again, a lot of that is understood in hindsight, and it's the right. strangest thing. But when you're in the moment, you're doing what you need to do. And then um, looking back, going, I'm so thankful for what God did in terms of protection and that. Right. And it's just like, you know, when you break it down, because even now you talking about being a 25-year-old in command. Think of that. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, no, like, it's not. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then a 25-year-old calling, you know, an 18-year-old <laughs> young. But that's the same thing. Back when I look at my young life and the fire service and the things I encounter working with people even younger than me. It, it just blows my mind and it gives you a different view. Yeah. So you guys pushed all the way into Baghdad, correct? We did. Yeah. April 10th, we went into Baghdad. And for us, again, we thought the war was going to be over when Baghdad, when the Battle of Baghdad ended. So we were there for a couple of weeks. When that ended, we retrograded out. Um, the famous declaration by President Bush, you know, that that mission was accomplished. We thought it was over. Um Clearly, it was not, but that was a major engagement for us. Our battalion went into Baghdad on April 10th on the north side of the the river. Um, We secured the presidential palace on the north side of the Tigris. We had uh, about 100 casualties, um, 12 hours of fighting to get to the palace, to get to our mission, to our objective. Um, Those casualties, most of those were wounded in action. We did have a few Marines killed, but uh, just an insane uh, couple of days. and that, for me, was uh, was my last um, battle before we retrograded back to Kuwait. When we then came home to you know Southern California, uh, I got out of the Marine Corps. Yeah. Now uh, I'm not going to push too hard here, but just being from a fireman's perspective, especially in West Oakland during the years that I was there, we just had so many shootings and so many bad things. Yeah. And we went on one or maybe two, or you know, sometimes there might be three people that that were shot and injured. So when you casually say hundreds, and I'm not saying you're casually saying it, you're humbly saying it over a couple day period, that's a lot of, a lot of stuff that happened there. Yeah. So that was, you know, that number, it was just over a hundred, um, wounded, um, and some killed from our battalion. mm -hmm. Now we went into Baghdad and again, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but 1200 Marines, um, every weapon system that you can imagine. And Baghdad, most people wouldn't know this. It's about the size of Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. it's a, an enormous city with big buildings and everything else. And for 12 hours, we were engaging um, a lot of folks with a lot of heavy weapons. And so, you know, the loss of life there was enormous. I, I don't mm-hmm. even know how to put it into yeah, context. I, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah. I know we fired... Um, you know, tens of thousands of rounds inside the city. Uh, we had air overhead at one point, um, you know, other things happened there. So yeah, it's, it's a, again, it's a pretty incredible. Yeah. I hear you, bro. Incredible in the, in the overwhelming sense. Right. And then as the sun came up, um, we started to see the people that we were fighting with and, uh, we were in a position, they were in a position and there was a lot of just you know, just yeah. firing rifles at each other. So crazy, crazy situation and really happy when, when the shooting ended. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. So, you know, I, I want to keep pushing that area, but you know, after that, you said you got pulled back down to Kuwait, correct? And started doing that. <laughs> yeah, we retrograded back. So, um, there was a handover uh, again, the war was over, right? right. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so, uh, we're going to go back into nation building. So our battalion was out, we were replaced and uh, it started a, a several-week process of us coming back to the United States. Now, here's something that I've found. A lot of times, 
after I've been to something very rough, a very tragic scene. It's when I'm in the midst of, as we've already hit this before, you're not really paying attention. Afterwards, sometimes you have a moment. But just in my two-hour drive home from Oakland, or my hour and a half drive home from Oakland to home, sometimes my mind would just start revisiting it now Mm. and playing it over and over. And some scenes really like, I don't know why they, they should bother me, but they didn't. For whatever reason, God didn't let these scenes bother me or I prayed and they don't. But then there's been other scenes where I've been like, God, oh man, this is bugging me. Yeah. And it continues to bug yeah. me. And to this day is still bugging me. It, it, do you have any of those issues or did you have any of those issues after you left Baghdad and you started to kind of reflect on the whole situation? Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting. I, I think every person responds to even the same situation differently. We're all wired a little bit differently. We could spend some time talking about how people respond to trauma, people who have faith going into that trauma versus people who don't, people who have been traumatized personally before that, and then they end up in a situation like that and how they respond. Um, I, I think what I dealt with while we were still in Baghdad, while we were coming back, while I was still wearing a uniform, um, was just the strangeness of it all. Mm-hmm. But I was so convinced that what we were doing was what we had trained to do and what we were there to do, that even the things that should have bothered me at the moment mm-hmm. really didn't bother me. Yeah. Now, part of that is, and I'm, I'm sure it's the same in the fire service. I know it is. When you're around other people who have been in that same environment, you talk about it. Sometimes you joke about you know things that are pretty dark yeah. as a defense kind of mechanism. And so you're constantly processing it with other people who were there, and that makes it okay somehow. Where I started to struggle and where a lot of people do is when they separate from that environment, that community of people who were there with us. Yes. Yes. That's, you know, again, I want to keep this focused on the story and what you're doing. But a few years ago, I was injured and I couldn't be a firefighter anymore. And I tell you what, it was one of the worst days of my life. Well, it was the worst day of my life up until then because it's like, you know, looking at it from a Christian standpoint, I was actually, it was idolization. I was idolizing who I was, my job as yep. Jason, the fireman yep. Yep. and what I'm nothing without this job. I'm not gonna be able to provide to my family anymore. And I'm seeing worst case scenario. Well, then people are all great. So in a few days later, do you start feeling better? And I go, no, <laughs> actually I didn't. I had a year of just true depression, a year of yeah. true, just, just sitting on my couch and staring at the wall, sitting yeah. home and being a checked out dad, sitting home and being a checked out husband, even though I was still blessed, you know, in my mid forties, blessed with a long life ahead. You know, I wasn't injured yep. to the point where I couldn't do everyday jobs, mow my lawn, move for, you know, I just, I couldn't be a fireman anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But dude, the, the long-term consequences and sitting in that for a while, it was rough, man. And I'm, I was a full-blown Christ fallen Christian professing yep. disciple of Christ but it's so amazing how quick this loud world, the fallen world can just drown out all the, the sounds of the gospel and all the sounds of scripture sometime when we're in those dark places, you know? Yeah. Did you, when you returned, did you ever find yourself in an area like that? Yeah. And, and I'll just say, you know, up front that a lot of the folks that we deal with in our organization where I work now, um, they'll go back to some kind of a trauma that was you know, they encountered in the military or something like that. Mm-hmm. But really what they're struggling with is that separation, what you just described. And what makes a difference, I think, often is just the timeline. <laughs> How long is it going to take me to recover from this? Right. And depending on where you are in your in terms of faith, it, it will take you longer or shorter. Some people never get out of it. They begin self-medicating and those things. Right. Um, when we came back from Iraq, that was in uh, early June 2003. Um, I was on my way out. I, I did the things I needed to do to check out because of the timing of it. The Marines went on leave and I was checking out. I was out before they came back. So the guys that I had spent uh, the last several years with had been in combat with, they went, I never really said goodbye or anything. I just kind of got out. Um, and a few weeks later I was working on a church staff, the church that we had been in for several years. Um, you know, this was my pastor. He asked me to come on staff and, 
and uh, you know, do some project stuff. He's like, I don't mm-hmm. know what we'll have you do, but I think right. you'd be a good addition to the team. And the church was growing, and 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 so what I struggled with on the other side of it was was that was just the separation. I felt completely lost. I grew up in a pastor's home. I was working at a church. You'd think that would be kind of my environment, my home environment. These were people that I knew, people that were friends. It wasn't a new church, and I felt so lost. Wow. Um, I was married, had two young kids, and I, I was mad at them all the time for no real good reason. I hear you. I was mad at church all the time for no real good reason. I'd st- sit in staff meetings and listen to what they were talking about. And and to me, and this is wrong, but to me, at the time, listening to the minutia of like the stupid stuff we had to yeah. do to run the church, I'm like, this is dumb. Right. Uh, like a couple months ago, I was in Iraq and now I'm doing right. what? You want to do what now? And, Jeremy, and, I, I hear you. And I want to catch up, but I want to go with that. And then we give it back over to you. I hear that because one day I remember looking at Christy, my wife, and I go, you know what? Being in the fire department was so much easier because we all just did our <laughs> job and it went smooth. And I tell you what, bro, she looked at me and she goes, guess what? You didn't marry a fireman. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> I want to, you want to talk about truth being spoken yeah. in my heart and let's go. I could back that up with the whole Bible. You right, know, with right, scripture. But right. Anyways, I hear you on that, dude, because it is hard because the separation of this is what was ground. I mean, people can yeah. realize it's ground into you. Then you go and live it as opposed to learning a word document or learning this. Yeah, right. I, you know, you're, you're ground like, like in the Oakland drill tower, we basically spend 16 weeks learning how not to die. That's right. what we do on the fire yeah. ground. Yeah, yeah. Then we go to the fire ground and we bring into practice trying not to die while we're <laughs> selflessly helping other people. So right. I hear you on that, dude, on so many levels. But let's be honest. We still can't justify with the way we're behaving when we come out and act like that, though. So I just wanted to throw that yeah. out there. To you, no, though I, hear you. I use the phrase all the time. There is um, no excuse for bad behavior. And I was behaving badly, but I, I can see this now, right? <laughs> but right. at the time I was living it, I'm like, I, so I'm in charge of the volunteer team. You want me to convince people to come clean the bathrooms? <laughs> and like, you know, not that long ago, I was leading Marines into combat. You guys don't know who I am or what I've done. I'd sit in a staff meeting and I would explode. And it was just, it was just stupid. But I, you know, to me, it all felt justified. And I felt like, well... Uh, I am somebody and I've done something. You used the term earlier, idolizing the job or the career. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it was that. And it took me, um, man, about a year. I'm thankful that my wife is, you know, a Christian and loves Mm -hmm. Jesus more than she loves me because she would have stuck around if she didn't. Um, I I mean, I'd throw things at home, knock stuff over, screaming Mm -hmm. at my kids and and wife for no reason. I mean, it wasn't like, not that there's ever a good reason to do that, but there wasn't even a bad reason to do that. I was just angry with myself, I think. Um, and after about a year, it was 11 months. And I remember this just because of how everything lined up. My pastor called me into his office. He's like, look, man, I love you. I love your family, but I, I can't deal with this anymore. No one here can deal with this anymore. You need to figure out what's going on or find a new job. <laughs> that was oh. kind of like, that was his counsel, right? What a gut check right there, my yeah, friend. It, oh. it was. And it was the first time I think I had had somebody like, really confront me on it. Yeah. And to him, it wasn't, I don't even think he was trying to confront me on it. He was, he was trying to say like, like as your employer, right. This is creating a hostile work environment and you can't do that. So he said, here's what I want you to do. Today's Friday. You guys need to take off for a week. You've got a vacation, take a week. (laughs) And, um, at the end of the week, I want you to come back and tell me what you're going to do. Wow. That was, that was it. So my wife and I dropped our kids off with my parents. We drove up the California coast, went to San Francisco, um, spent a few days, you know, there and talking. And, mm-hmm. and really during that time, that's when I knew it to be true, but that's when God through the Holy Spirit and talking to my wife and really having some time to reflect, um, I was able to understand that the problem was me, not everyone else, mm-hmm. that I needed to be responsible for my actions and for what I was doing. And uh, I, I had to start and it took a, a while. I mean, it took a long time to really get things back on track and to heal some of the wounds. But mm-hmm. um, that was a turning point in my life. I wouldn't be where I am today were it not for 
you know, that weekend and being sent away and, and realizing, yeah, this is not okay. I can't do this anymore. Right. That's so good, man. And, you know, I, I so appreciate you um, transparently and vulnerably sharing that with us because especially from a, a pastoral view, because I mean, I believe in biblical eldership. So once you've been called to a pastor, you're a pastor, bro, regardless of standing <laughs> in front, front of the church every Sunday. And for a pastor to share that, it means so much to me because I know that you guys are held to levels and standards basically put upon you by people of this world that are unobtainable. You know right. what I mean? And sure. so sometimes a lot of that has to be hidden. And a lot of people look at pastors as the perfect life, the perfect family, the this. But dude, yeah. I am a true believer that God wants you to use everything to glorify him, everything, you know, even right. though I can't, and I try. So I don't want to put, put that stress on people yeah. like, Oh, I have to use everything. Well, we're called to, but you're going to come up short. But with that being said, man, for you to now take those struggles and bless other people, especially from the quote pulpit, <laughs> you know, yeah. Dude, yeah. that's huge. And, and, and that's why I'm so into telling people everywhere tell your story because we can all go to the Bible and his words infallible. It's going to stay infallible. It's going to stay perfect. Yeah. We're going to mess it up. Even some interpretations, we may not see everything the same, but it is perfect, but we are not perfect. And when all we do is stick to his infallible word and preaching that to other people, I think sometimes it makes them feel even less of a person. But when we come to them and say, as a person preaching, teaching, and loving on you with this amazing scripture, I'm coming to you as a broken person. And here are my stories of brokenness. Yeah. And here's my story of recovery. Or here's my story of I'm still recovering, you know, because as every Christian, I always look like we're, we're all in recovery until the day we take it <laughs> in front of King Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, right. A, but, but to take those stories, yeah. that's why I'm so passionate about people telling their personal story. I agree. If, uh, if we don't, otherwise, I'm just talking to, Pastor Stalnegger here, and I could go yeah. talk to any pastor I want. Yeah, can, right. You could go through the book of John or one John, whatever you want. Let's do it. And I just so I'm clear on this, I'm all about that. <laughs> but I think it's so much more effective when we come at people and let them know of our background, what God let us live through, and how we're now using it to bless others, and then get into scripture, preach, teach, and yeah. do all that stuff. So I appreciate well, that. And it, it's taken me a long time to get there too on that. I mean, I you know, I came through that year, and what I did is I said, Okay, I need to put all that behind me and I need to move forward, which is not a bad thing to do. Right. But I wasn't going to talk about it. I wasn't going to share it. I wasn't going to, you know, be the Marine guy. That was in my past. And it took me, you know, almost 10 years before um, I ever connected with the Marines I served with again. And then, you know, beyond that, understanding like, wow, I have a real responsibility to continue to care for these guys and to use my story to help other people. And it, it, it took a long time. It took a long time to get there. And uh, yeah. I agree. It, the, the, the platform that you can communicate the best from is a place of vulnerability and transparency and honesty. Really, that's all it is. Right. It's just being honest. Yeah. Well, that's what touched me so much about, again, the backstory of how you and I met a couple of weeks ago is going to this Firefighters for Christ retreat. Um, I tried to use every excuse I had to not go to that thing. <laughs> because I haven't been to a firefighter's function since I left Oakland. Mm, wow. I met with a couple guys and and I've taken a little bit of heat from some guys that I'm not as close with of turning my back on them. But yeah, it was just, right. I was so broken and so shattered of not being there anymore. It was like, and I felt ashamed and then I let the that take over me and then, you know, start fighting the imposter complex and all that. Yeah, right, right. And everything, and you, you know how it is. But since then, and, and that's why I invited you on this show, I've actually been starting to make connections with a lot of the guys again. And, and it's, you know, of course, I'm going to awesome. take, when I say the word beating, for those of you that aren't in the military, <laughs> I'm taking my beating from the guys. That's where they just kind of razz you a little. And it's a good thing yeah. and stuff. But you're, you're so right, dude, that our common, I think, trait that most humans do have out of our brokenness is to run and hide, you know, from, yeah. from our past, from yeah. what people might think about like maybe i'm going to go talk to someone else that i was in the marines with and he's gonna look at me as like what's wrong with you because i'm just fine but then when we connect i'm like oh check it out we're both messed yeah, up <laughs> you right, know? right 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 yeah. we're all struggling the same way it, you know it's been interesting i think social media has helped with this particularly because of the work we do i can't hide anymore mm -hmm. it has to be out there but i've had so many marines that i've known over the years and guys that i served with uh you know now almost 20 years ago reach out to me i mean almost weekly 
uh, I saw something you said, or I read something right. you wrote, and man, that means so much to me. And uh, it really ministers to people and to people who may not view the world the same way that I do, right. but it really connects to them. And it's a, it's a powerful, powerful tool. Yeah, you're absolutely it is. right. It's so cool. You know, because in the fire service, you know, it's, you just don't get to talk about God and you especially don't get to talk about Jesus that much. Yeah. You know, you're, you're actually told not to, if you will. Yeah. But it's so cool when someone sees the stuff you're writing, the stuff you're doing, and and how they're catching pieces of that light, and they don't know that they're catching right. pieces of that right. light, even right. though you and I know that's what we're trying to do. Right. And, and then we get to hang out and talk with them. And because when when it comes to dealing with trauma and growing from it, I'm not an expert. The only thing I'm an expert at is living through it, you know, because sure. I grew up in yeah. an ultra abusive home. I had a dad who's a Vietnam veteran who still to this day hates me. Mm-hmm. I dropped out of high school and I was 16 years old. I couch surfed. I had a bunch of problems. It's only by the grace of God that I became a firefighter. You know, I'm, I was the least qualified guy to ever become a firefighter. Mm-hmm. I had to go back, take my GED. I had to, to do everything it took. And then going immediately at the age of 18 and becoming a firefighter and doing that until my, my early 40s, I had no one ever to teach me how to deal with those struggles. So I say I'm an expert at living in them. Yeah. But what I've learned now is I'm slowly trying to help people that have been in the same place I have, whether it's 20 years, one year, one month. I mean, come on now. You don't have to be there that long in the the military or in public service to experience that traumatic stuff. Right. And what I try to tell people is I take a holistic approach. Now, I know everyone's freaking out right now. I'm not talking worldly, <laughs> holistic, universal <laughs> stuff. I'm talking about holy with starting with the H, H-O-L-Y, and then holy with the W-H-O and saying God has given me guys like Jeremy. God has given me guys like the Mighty Oaks Foundation. God has given me medication. God has given me family, you know, the the whole, the body of Christ, if you will, and wholly filling that up without just sliding into one piece of the pie, you know, because from the worldly side, I see a lot of my brothers go through treatments sometimes. And it's a, a talk on the couch and the talk is like, well, you can overcome this yeah, and you can do this. And then here's a pill. I was like, yeah. Come on. I'm, I'm very clear that that sometimes that fib goes too far. You can't be whatever you want to be. You can right. be whatever God wants you to be if you work right. hard at it. But right. I tell you what, I want to be in the NBA right now. You can see me. Okay. <laughs> so no way you get it. I can't obtain that because it's not God's will. So, before we transition is something I want to spend some time in here, your Mighty Oaks Foundation. Can you give me some basics if there's someone here in this that's stuck in a dark place right now dealing with yeah. PTSD? Yeah, you just said a lot there. And I believe, as you, you just mentioned, there are a lot of tools that can be used to help people who are dealing with trauma. And I say this all the time, trauma is not reserved for those who served in the military. Um I work with people who have served in the military and first responders because that's my background. I have the opportunity to do that. But trauma is something that is common to all of us. And so, uh, first of all, don't be ashamed if you've dealt with something that you believe is traumatic, particularly in your childhood. This is, a, this, this is kind of the, the thing that a lot of people cover up. They were traumatized in their childhood. They were you know, abused sexually or physically, uh, maybe emotionally, other relationships. So they have this thing in their past. It's traumatic. And they allow themselves to be convinced that they're different somehow. You're not different. If you've dealt with trauma, you've dealt with things that have pushed you so far that you now have to struggle through that, um, that makes you human. And that's okay. Now, it's not okay to stay under the weight of that, but it's okay to have gone through it. So that's one thing. And then understanding there are a lot of tools that can help you. I think, uh, you know, counselors are a good help. I think medication in mm-hmm. the right dosages at the right times with a mm-hmm. plan to get off of them can also right. be a help. There right. are a lot of things that can help you, but foundationally, there's only one thing that can restore you or make you whole, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. Um, I, I like to describe it this way. I think that therapists, doctors, those in um, you know kind of the medical community will say, well, there are a lot of tools and faith is one of them. So we'll start with medicine, we'll start with therapeutics, we'll start with these things. And if we need to add faith to get them there, then we'll do that. The right answer (laughs) is to start with faith and very specifically understanding that God is the creator, that he has a plan for your life, 
that if you'll live in accordance with that plan, you're living according to your created design. And when you're living according to your created design, you can move forward in a good way, regardless of what's happened in your past. You start there and then move. So if you need people to help you develop new habits, you need other things in your life, you can do that. But it's the foundation of faith that provides the ability to be restored. And, you know, we could spend all day talking about right. this, but new life comes through Jesus Christ. We just right. celebrated that on Easter. Um, why is Easter so significant? Because death became life <laughs> because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, overcame sin, hell, death, and the grave and yep. makes us new. So until that happens, all we're doing is putting a Band-Aid on a, a sucking chest wound, as they say. Right. And so there are a lot of therapies, there are a lot of helps, there are a lot of tools, and I think many of them are very, very helpful. But the underlying foundation has to be a relationship with God. And beyond that, uh, you know, you, you take one step at a time, one day at a time. Uh, you put one foot in front of the other, you get up and do it again tomorrow, and God will bring you to the place that he wants you to be if you're committed to doing what he wants you to do. Yes, that's so good. And that's that's why living in the dark for the first 28 years of my life when people say, well, I need proof, you know, well, yeah. we know how to bring proof. But I'm just like, guys, think about this. The ultimate outcast of eternity yeah. <laughs> is the cornerstone of the foundation right. of my faith. <laughs> Do you think about that? Right. So if you want to talk about a foundation every other foundation is going to crumble away and you just preach that man. So thank yeah. you for preaching that to people and uh, keep doing it. So let's talk about where you're at now, your foundation that you're part of and everything you're doing sure. there. Yeah. The mighty Oaks foundation. And uh, for those that are listening, if you just want more information, it's mighty Oaks programs. So mighty Oaks, like the tree Oaks <laughs> programs.org. You can find out anything there. And we work with veterans, active duty service members and first responders and then their spouses. So uh, we do our best to help uh, folks in those communities work through traumas, either related to service in the military or in the first responder community, or just as a part of life. Because again, you know, life is traumatic in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and we do that through a number of ways. One is we speak at conferences and do things like that. But the core of what we do is run a program that happens in one of four locations across the country. It's a week-long and we bring either men or women to that location for that week. And we just talk to them about trauma and about difficulty and about life and about the hope that's found in a relationship with God through Christ and how to move forward in that. Uh, we pay for the program. We also pay for travel to get to the program and uh, would love to, to offer that to, to anyone who falls into one of those categories. Um, mm -hmm. On our website, there is a lot of other resources. People ask all the time. You know, I've, I've dealt with trauma, but I'm not in the military or the first responder community. Go to our website. There's a bunch of resources there. We're continuing to put those out and uh, would love to connect with you on that. But um, in a nutshell, that's it. It's understanding you may have trauma in your past related to your service to your country. Uh, however, there is a path forward. And that path mm -hmm. forward is understanding God has a plan for your life and he still has a plan for your life. And you need to lean into that and trust him to, to carry you forward. Right. And uh, if you'll do that, it sounds simple. It sounds over uh, overly simple. But um, I, I have discovered that many, most of the men and women that we work with have tried everything else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they've tried the, the clinical stuff. They've tried the medication. They've tried the things. But again, they have it backwards. They've started with the therapies and the, the change of habit and have not found the foundation of faith that's necessary. And so we do our best to say you need the foundation before anything else is going to uh, really have any lasting effect in your life. Right. And that's what I love. I've, you know, I'm not going to say I'm an expert on your foundation, but I have spent a little bit of time researching it. And everyone that's listed on your website that works there or does stuff for you guys, they're straight up legit, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're, they're like... I'm looking at the stories and I'm like, whoa, this person is from here and they've done that. And this lady's from here and she did yeah. that. And, and I think that's why I'm so drawn to your organization is because if I, and, and don't you I think a pack of professional mental health people are amazing. Of course. But if they haven't experienced what you've experienced, 
sometimes you don't have that parallel to come alongside right. them. You know what I mean? And, and if you don't have that parallel, sometimes we can't throw the messages back and forth right. to each other. And I right. love that. What you, how do people, I mean, how did you guys get, get this thing started or who yeah. started it and where'd it come from? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no, not at all. So what you said is really important too. I mean, it's, it is, it's, why do we work with those communities? Because everyone who teaches for us, who's a part of what we do comes from those communities, the veterans, you know, come from the active duty community, obviously, and then the first responders so that we have that shared experience. We go back to testimony that we talked about earlier and we're sharing life stories saying, I don't have it all figured out, uh, but God has done this in my life. This is where I come from. We've got this in common and we can move forward together in that. And, and really that's where it came from. Um, Chad Robichaud is uh, the founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. He was a Marine, struggled coming home from Afghanistan, uh, was introduced to a relationship with God through Christ, became a Christian, uh, and said, I want to share this with everyone else. And so he did. He took a men's uh, <laughs> a Bible study workbook that he had, wow. and he started working with veterans. And And uh, we met as he was getting it started. He said, I I know what I want to do. I don't have the ministry background. I was pastoring at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, can you help me with this? And so, um, 2012, we, we just started and, and, uh, man, God's, God's blown it up, but it's, it's just very much peer to peer. Um, I mean, we have a curriculum and we have a format and it's, you know, it's, it's very programmed, but it's 15 minutes of me telling my story. And then, you know, 25 minutes of me giving you some, some ways that you can move forward in that. And, uh, it's very much that. And and again, God uses testimony and continues to bless. That's so good. So anyone who is listening here and they're looking for uh, a place, maybe you're not struggling, but you have a place that you want to be able to bless others. You guys accept donations and people we can do. go to your website and people can uh, uh, donate, correct? And yeah, they can. And, and, you know, again, we so we'll have about 800 students come through one of those programs this year. We'll speak to several thousand folks at conferences this year, and we do all of that without charge. And the way we're able to do that is because of folks coming alongside and supporting the work that we're able to do. That's so good. Well, you have a uh, Christy and I are definitely going to be uh, um, supporting you guys. That's for sure. Awesome. And anyone listening, if you could support these guys and uh, the mission that they're on is is just so worth it. And for those of you that know me, you know that I don't really talk with folks that I, I don't have faith in what they're doing <laughs> and right. what you guys are doing here is so legit, man. So I so appreciate you. So let's go over it one more time. They can contact you where and give a list of different contacts. Yep. If someone wants to get a hold of you or the uh, foundation. Sure. Yeah. So for the foundation, it's mighty It's real easy. Everything's there. Uh, if you're interested in me, I have a blog and a, a podcast and you know, other stuff. Uh, it's just my name, jeremystalnecker.com. I'd like to make it real simple. I was a Marine. I wasn't that smart, so you got to keep it simple. Uh, jeremystalnecker.com. You can find my stuff there as well, uh, or go to mightyoaksprograms.org. And uh, yeah, connect with us there. Awesome. Hey, Jeremy, I'm going to ask you a personal favor. Would you mind uh, praying us out of this conversation? Yeah, let's do it, man. Thank Go you. Forward, let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to, to have these conversations. And uh, as difficult as it can be sometimes, we thank you for those things that you allow us to go through and then give us the right perspective on the other side of those things so that we can glorify you and the healing and the hope that's been found. And then we can turn around and help others who are also struggling. And I pray that we would always see our story that way uh, as an opportunity to uh, not only experience redemption, but to share that with others. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Uh, thank you for Jason and this show, and I pray that you continue to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jeremy, thank you so much for being on, and I look forward to uh, future conversations with you, brother. Let's do it, man. Thank you. Thank you.